Well, good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started. I'm glad that you are here. I know a couple people will be keep trickling in as we go throughout this morning, but we're going to get started so we can get our full hour of content in. Uh, <laughs> I got to pick on Miss Helen. She comes in a couple minutes late and says, oh, I'm sorry I'm late. Two of my neighbors just wouldn't leave me alone this morning. <laughs> but, well, that's a one way to come into the neighboring class. <laughs> Uh, but we're so glad that you're here, uh, late or on time or early, whatever it might be. Uh, thank you for coming back. I know last week was a little bit different, um, watching me on video, uh, maybe a little bit different taste, but maybe that gave you a different experience. Uh, we had a wonderful time at Winterfest, and we really do appreciate all of the prayers that I know y'all were lifting up for us down there on the way back while we were there. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more uh, here in a little bit about an experience I had at Winterfest that I have to tell you about. Um, but first, I want to first I want to open us up in prayer, and then I want to kind of refocus us on the neighboring. So, let, if you will, let's let's pray together. God, you are a good, good God. Uh, God, a Father who loves His children, and I pray that. Uh, in this moment, that we will be fully focused on you as we focus uh, more intently on those around us. Uh, God, this neighboring thing, it's, it's difficult, it can be messy at times, but if we were to take your command seriously, to love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves, if we were to take that literally, we think that there could be some real changes in the world, that we can truly have an impact, not, lo- not only on our neighborhoods, but on our community and ultimately the world. And so God, thank you that we have these moments where we can come together, where we can strengthen each other. Um, but God, I, I pray for courage and strength as we leave these doors and we enter into these relationships with those around us. But right now, in this moment, may we uh, be fully focused on you. May our heart and soul and mind, may they be focused on your word and each other. And we say this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So again, we are in the Art of Neighboring series. We are on session five, which means we only have two of these left. Um, We have this one, and then next week, and then this series is officially done, though I do hear that the ladies are getting together with, uh, on Sunday evenings with material that is very similar to what we're going to be, what we've been talking about in this class, so it will continue there. And then after this session, there's going to be another session, not on neighboring necessarily, but more focused on now that you have built these relationships, what are you doing with them, right? How do we ultimately share our faith with people? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we're just quoting scripture at them, but how do we share our faith, intentionally share our faith, practically share our faith with these people we're building relationships with? And some of our leaders are going to spend six weeks after this session helping us walk through sharing our faith. One of the resources we're using is a book titled, How to Share Jesus Without Freaking Out, right? Because oftentimes we just, we scare ourselves out of it, right? And so it's learning how, hey, this doesn't have to be a scary thing. It can be a natural thing if we can kind of, if we can solidify our own understanding of our faith and then learn how to share it more effectively with those around us. Now, all of these things that we're doing, and, and a lot of things are happening, and I get that, right? A lot of things are changing and different, and the classes seem to be more focused, It all is leading us back to this campaign, but ultimately the command that Jesus gave us um, to go and to share Jesus with the world. Uh, And how do we do that uh, better? 
how do we do that more effectively? And it goes back to this campaign that we kind of kicked off at the beginning of the year, a hundred campaign. I don't know how many are still wearing bands or still have them. The band doesn't matter. What matters is what's on the band, right? This hundred campaign that in the year, Vero Beach, a centennial year, we are trying to identify a hundred of our members who are engaged in discipling relationships. And man, we are already hearing some pretty awesome stories from y'all in the life groups, um, personally, of people that just, it's like a door has been opened. They've, they've just suddenly walked into your life and you've been more intentional in those. And so we can't wait to hear more, but we want to identify people who are making disciples. So everything from the classes to the life groups, even all the way down to, I know the new bulletin was uh, introduced last week. If you notice, I wasn't here whenever it was first introduced. Maybe strategic, maybe not, I don't know. But uh, even all the way down to the bulletin, it's not just about a new look. Um, One thing we wanted to integrate was the Connect card in there. Um, Easily tear away Connect cards so that as you bring your friends, as guests, just wander into our building, we can connect with them. We can find out where they are in their spiritual walk and where we can help them. And so everything that we're doing, we're trying to be laser focused on this idea to be disciples who are making disciples. So thank you for being here and going on that with us. So to go into our neighboring material, I want to hear from you. I want to hear success stories. You've been in this class for four or five weeks now. You've wrestled with the materials. You've looked at your tic-tac-toe sheet uh, of your neighborhood. You've prayed about these people. So I want to hear over the past couple of weeks, what are some success stories that you've had? Now, they can be as big as, wow, I've, I've actually started studying the Bible with somebody, which, wow, what an amazing story that would be. Or as small or seemingly small as I just started to realize I have neighbors, (laughs) right? I just begin to realize who they are, and maybe I've learned a name or two. So let's just spend a couple moments in hearing from you of what are some success stories that you've had. And that, that, there's a lot in that story that we can pull from. Um, One is to never give up on our neighbors, right? We may have a terrible first interaction, second interaction, third interaction, but never give up, right? You just keep going and being the, the Christ in their life. You keep loving them for where they are. Um, that people can seemingly have it all put together, have all the answers, and on the inside be crumbling. Um, and you see that in the news. That there's, I feel like a lot of celebrities recently, like you, it's like they have their life put together and then something happens and you realize it's all been a facade. It's all been hiding something deeper that has been crumbling. Um, and then uh, finally that... We have just been called to enter into people's lives and love them. One thing we talked about last week where people are not projects, right? People are people, right? And they love, they cry, they mourn, they grieve, just like we do. They have fears, they have doubts, and we haven't been called to convert people. We've been called to love people because we've been converted, right? And within that love and within that relationship, we're supposed to expose them to Jesus and allow Jesus to do the work. So um, thank you for that example uh, have you ever experienced a one-sided relationship, right? Maybe, uh, maybe it's a relationship, an interaction, a conversation, but it's like it's all one-sided, right? So maybe uh, it's a relationship where you gave, you gave, you gave, you gave, you gave, and it's like the person had, they, they didn't reciprocate in any way, right? You gave all your resources to them, and they never paid you back in any way. Or maybe it was a conversation, and they, they talked, they talked, they talked, they talked, and you barely could get your name in, much less anything else, right? They just kept giving and giving and giving, and you had no involvement. It's one-sided, and we don't, we don't like one-sided 
relationships or conversations. It reminds me of this past weekend at Winterfest. I have to tell you the story. It just, it just blew my mind. And if you read my blog, you, you, one of my recent posts, I posted about it, but don't spoil it for your neighbor. Uh, we were, so we're, we're at this conference, right? And there's thousands, I mean, 10,000 kids walking around Gatlinburg. It's, it's the largest Church of Christ gathering uh, in the world, right? In the, this weekend, I mean, thousands of Christians walking around this small little town of Gatlinburg. Now, if you've never been to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, I mean, the main street, it's just filled with interactions and games and restaurants and lights and fun. I mean, it, it's, it's a fun little entertainment. It's like a theme park that you don't have to pay to get into. Um, and so during, in between sessions, we have free time. So, you know, the kids get hours to walk around this town, go into the shops, go into the restaurants, have fun. So during one of this, these free times, uh, me and a couple of the kids were going into, I don't know if we're going, some building. We're waiting to get inside. We're waiting out in the line. And again, I mean, imagine thousands of people walking on these streets, just everywhere. People are everywhere. And as we're sitting there waiting, there's this man, big burly man. He has a winter jacket, thick glasses. He's holding a Bible in his right hand. And he posts over here on this corner, and he's just yelling, right? And you've, you, maybe you've seen these kind of guys. They just, they read the Bible, or they'll, um, and this guy, uh, he, was, he was a little more direct towards people. I mean, he was pointing at people, uh, saying, do you know what would happen if you died right now? Shame on you for not knowing the Bible and all this stuff. Um, and it, it, was, it was sad, but there was, there was some kind of rich irony in that moment. Why? Because of who this guy was unknowingly preaching to, right? He was, he was preaching and pointing at these kids and these people that he assumed he knew everything about, but little did he know that he was mostly preaching to Christians, people who had traveled hundreds, even thousands of miles to worship the same God that he was yelling about were walking all around him, but he had no idea. He thought he knew, right? And the sad thing is, is that we do this a lot of times too. We can do this in our faith. Now, most likely you're not standing on a street corner convicting or damning people on God's behalf, right? but many Christians take on the same posture. And we talked a little bit about that last week, right? Postures, motives, the, which is just as important as the message we're bringing to people, the posture that we're taking whenever we're telling them this, right? Because if we're not careful, we will speak before we listen. We'll try to sell something before we love somebody. We'll judge people before we learn anything about them. And this man who was preaching on the, the preaching, and I put that in quotes, preaching on the street corner, likely had no idea that thousands of Christians were walking around him. I mean, like a rock in a riverbed, just swarming around him, right? That thousands of Christians were walking around him, but it didn't matter to him. Not in that moment, at least. What mattered to him was that he was going to bulldoze his way into their hearts and into their minds, right? That he had the truth, and he was going to guide them to the truth because they were lost, and he knew it. Now, this is nothing on the man or his heart, and maybe there's even a place for this flavor of outreach. But what I have found is that there's much more sustainable and acceptable way to share Jesus with people. And it's not from my wisdom it's from the brother of Jesus, right? And there's this, there's this passage in James that over the past couple of weeks has come up over and over again, right? It's either in a lesson that I wasn't preparing, but I was presenting, or my own personal study, 
this passage kept coming up over and over again. I thought, God, what are you trying to tell me in this moment? And I think he was trying to tell it for this moment right here, this lesson. Right? It comes from James chapter 1, verse 19. And it's a real simple phrase. It says, everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Hear those words again. Because I think this is the most important, one of the most important messages for the church and the people who gather in it every week. Everybody, listen to this. You should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why is this so hard for so many people? And I, I want to open that up. I want to hear your answers. Why is this so hard for so many people? Yeah. Yeah, we almost, in our excitement, we almost lose perspective. Yeah, we lose perspective of what other people know about their interests and their desires, and it's all focused on here and what I want to share. Yeah, good. What, why else? Why is this so hard for so many people? Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, <laughs> this video that I watched one time. Maybe you've seen it where this husband and wife, or I assume their husband and wife, they're sitting talking to each other, and it's like zoomed in, uh, look at them, and and this lady's like, I just have this pain that I don't, I don't know where it's coming from, and I just, I just need someone to listen. And the man's like, well, I think I know what the problem is. She's like, I don't want you to solve the problem. I just want you to listen to me. And it's this dramatic effect. And then it zooms out, and she has a nail sticking in her forehead. <laughs> it's like sometimes, and it's supposed to be humorous, right? And it's sometimes people just want you to listen. They don't want you to try to fix the problem. They just want you to listen to the problem, right? And so that it makes me think of that video. Why else? Yeah. Yes. No, you're, you're, very, you're very right on. It's like we, we become almost defensive of what we believe. And we can't have any disagreements, and everybody has to believe. Like you said, that's a great way to say exactly the same sequence, and they have to come to the same knowledge the way we did, or we grow defensive of it. Yeah, Darian? Yeah. You said a key word there. Uh, we try to justify ourselves, or we justify our anger. You remember a story in which somebody tried to justify who is my neighbor? Who can I show love to? And who do I not have to show love to? Right? We do this a lot in a lot of different areas of our life. We try to justify our actions. Good. Any, anybody else have thoughts of why this is so difficult for us? Personally, I, I mean, I, I agree with everything that was said. And in addition to it, I would say I think our culture leans towards it. Uh, I mean, think of just the Internet and the rise of the Internet and the rise of like social media where you can post your opinion and you can uh, immediately disagree with somebody in just moments, right? And it's, it's a platform in which it just, it just feeds this desire to get our voice out into the world. We have all the right answers. We have all the right, and we don't need to listen to anybody. We just need to voice it. We need to get it out to the world so that they can hear and listen and believe what we believe, right? And so our culture isn't helping any with it as, or help it, helping any at all as well. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Going into uh, familiar places and doing something unfamiliar. Instead of going on social media to vent your opinion, going on it to hear other people's. And that, that's a great way to reach people and to shake them out of the norm. And so th this morning, we're going to be talking about receiving, right? The art of receiving. Now, as you might imagine, and as we've kind of talked about, receiving something is often easier said than done. Right? We don't necessarily receive very easily. Right? It can be a challenge to many of us for many reasons. So let me 
break that down. It takes humility. It takes the idea that you might have to impose on somebody else. It, takes, it requires vulnerability, right? Receiving is something that our culture and just how we've been raised and, and how we view the world, it just doesn't come natural for us. So let's, let's break down those three just real quick. Humility. Receiving requires humility. Because when we receive something from somebody, right, when we receive something, we are recognizing, we are acknowledging that somebody has something that we do not have. And we don't like that. That, that creates tension inside of us. Why? Because it's uh, man versus man. It's the survival of the fittest. It's you need to provide for you and yourself. It's the land of opportunity. And you can, you can find success within yourself. That's how we think. That's how we survive, right? Or at least many of us do. Right? And so the idea that I need to depend on some, I need to become vulnerable to somebody else or I need to humble myself in front of other people, it becomes unsettling to us. And so we say, no, 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 I don't need anything. I have everything that I need. Another one is we don't like to impose on other people, right? We, we've learned at a very early age not to ever be in debt to somebody. If somebody does you good, you do them good back. And that's not necessarily a bad thing unless it becomes a necessity for you, right? Somebody buys my meal, I can't be in debt to that person. I need to buy their meal. I need to even the playing field here right? because it, it's this idea of superior and inferior, and whenever you owe somebody, you become inferior to them, at least in your own mind. I, I can't be an inferior to you. I can't owe you something, and so I need to do something back to you so it's even. We don't like to impose on people. And, you know, the sad thing is we do this in a lot of different places in our life, right? I, I mean, I do this in, with my own wife. I do this. There was a time, actually, it was, it was when we were coming back from Winterfest, we had to take the van back to the rental place, and we had to get it back at a certain time. And so at 3 o'clock, I was like, okay, I need to take this van back. I was like, Darian, you know, we had an agreement. She'd come pick me up after work. I was like, Darian, don't even, don't even worry about it, right? I'll just, I'll drop it off, and I'll walk home. Right? I was going wa to walk home, which it wasn't far. It was like three, four miles away from my house. But it was in the middle of the day. She was already, we already agreed she was going to pick me up but I didn't want to impose on her. I didn't want to mess up her schedule. So I was like, you know what? I'll just take it upon myself, right? We don't like to depend on other people. We think, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and move on. And so we do this in a lot of different places in our life. And then the final one, so humility, imposing on other people, and then vulnerability. Because it takes quite a bit of courage to put ourselves out there. It takes quite a bit to tell somebody that we need something, that we don't have everything that we need. And, and this tension that it creates of potentially being embarrassed or potentially being rejected, we try to avoid that pain, right? And that's what vulnerability is, right? It's, it's opening yourself up to being hurt or rejected by somebody else. And we don't like doing that. So we say, you know what? You drive in your lane, I'll drive in my lane, and we'll just go side by side on this thing. You stay on your side, I'll stay on my side, and we'll work it out on our own. But we weren't designed that way. From the very beginning, we weren't designed that way. Right? Man was alone in the garden, and, and God said, I need to create a suitable helper for this person. 
right? We weren't designed to be alone. We were designed to live in community. But we push away from it. So of these three, which of these three do you find most challenging in your own experience? Do you find it's, it's difficult to be humble, to, to, to humble yourself? Is it difficult because you don't want to impose on people? Or is it difficult because you have a hard time being vulnerable? Which of these is challenging to you? Yes. <laughs> Darian said yes. <laughs> All three. Yeah. So you, you came to a point in your life where you don't have a choice. You have to depend on other people. And it, it's probably still creates something inside. Every time you have to make a phone call and ask, it's like, yeah, it's just like, I don't, I don't want to impose on what you have going, but I need help. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. if you think about if somebody gave you a phone call and said, hey, I need help doing this, you would feel honored. Like, wow, yeah, absolutely I'll help you. It's a compliment, but when it's the reverse side of it, it's like, no, 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 I can't, can't impose, right? It, it's weird how we do that in our own mind, right? Yeah, what, which, which other these? So to remind you, right, is it difficult for you to humble yourself, to realize that you don't have it all? right? You need help. You need something from other people. Is it more difficult because you feel like you're imposing on somebody? I don't want to mess up your schedule. I can do it. You know what? Don't. Or is it because you have to become vulnerable, right? You are opening your heart up and say, I can be rejected here, right? I could ask for help and they're going to say no and then it's, it's going to hurt. Which of these do you struggle with? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we have big, big asks from people. We have big things in our life that come up. And it's hard to, to impose that on somebody else. Say, hey, carry this weight with me. Yeah, that's my problem. I mean, I'll, I'll be straight and honest with you. My problem is pride. Yeah, I, I, wanna, I think I can handle it on my own. I mean, I'm a, a young, healthy man. I, I, you know, I have so many opportunities, and I have health, and I have ability. I mean, I have so much going for me here. I can do it on my own. I don't need, I don't need help. I can, you know. And I get caught, I know, and yes, I do, right? But I, I lie to myself almost every day thinking I could do it on my own, right? But I can't. I'm here telling you, I can't. I can't do it on my own, and neither can you. Um, we need each other. So the key, the key to the art of receiving, and we're going to break this down a little bit more so it, maybe it makes a little more sense, is authenticity, right? It, it all revolves around authenticity. Actually, the art of neighboring revolves around authenticity, because as you begin to look for ways to receive from your neighbors, which is weird because we're, we're talking about going out and being friends with them. Now we're talking about receiving something from them, right? It's going to be tempting to manufacture moments in which you can receive something. Think of going to your neighbor to ask for sugar and you don't really need any, right? Like, oh, well, this, I'll create an opportunity. But see, whenever you manufacture these moments to receive something, right? Oh, wow. Someone's screaming. <laughs> um, whenever you manufacture these moments to receive, right, you're actually robbing yourself and the people around you of a genuine moment, a genuine bonding moment, right? And, and it's dishonest, which is pretty, pretty self-explanatory. But you see, the art of receiving is just as much internal as it is external, right? It's just as much doing something for you as it's doing something for the people who are serving you. Because when genuine moments occur in our life, right, whenever 
whenever we can do something for somebody and they have an opportunity to do something for you, a bond is created, a bond that can't be manufactured or can't be created in any other way. So let me, let me see if I can give an example of this. Uh, a couple of summers ago, Darian and I, we took in a young mother with two very young children, a, what was it, four-month-old and a two-year-old, right? So very quickly, we became parents of not only these two children, but a 19-year-old who was running away from an abusive relationship and needed a place to stay. And it was a rough summer, right? It was a rough summer for her as we tried to get her back up on her feet, and we did a lot for her, right? Not only a place to stay and food every night and taking care of her kids with her, but we helped her with job applications. We, we used our connections to get her connected. We did a lot for this girl, and that's not beating our own drum. That's just the reality of it. And I'll never forget this, this one morning. I was having an off day. There was a lot, a lot happening that summer, and I had a lot of weight on my shoulders. And maybe I was feeling sick, or maybe it wasn't a good day, but I remember waking up and just not feeling myself, and, and it was probably noticeable. And I remember Sam was her name. She said, Peyton, can I make you and can I just make breakfast for everybody? And, and I thought, and I even said out loud, no, Sam, don't worry about it. You already have a lot going on. I don't, I don't want you to have to worry about doing something, about taking care of me. That, that's not what this is about. I'm, I'm trying to help you. Well, no, Peyton, really, can I, can I make breakfast? No. And I insisted, no, I, you don't need to do that for me. She said, Peyton, I need to make you breakfast. You see, and it was in that moment that this started to make sense to me. That we can't rob people of opportunities to do something for us. We can't rob people of those moments to hold on to their humanity, to hold on to their dignity, to do something for somebody else. And whenever we get up on our podium and think we have it all put together, we have all the answers, we have everything that we need, we don't need anybody, we are robbing people of opportunities their humanity, to live it out, to do something for this world. Don't rob people. And this is not from me. Jesus actually has an example. Everybody go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I love this story in Luke, and we're going to do the same thing that we've been doing. I'm going to ask somebody to read this passage here in a moment. And then right after this person finishes reading, I'm going to ask somebody else, preferably with a different translation, to read it again. Just let's spend some time soaking this text in. And then after it's been read twice, I'm going to ask one other person to just tell us what's happening in this story. So will somebody read uh, chapter 7, 36 through 38? Chapter 7, 36 through 38. Yeah, yeah, I, I love this story, partly because of some of the things that you only know if you know kind of the culture, right? So a Pharisee invites Jesus, a, another teacher of the law, another, this, this, uh, this prophet, it seemed like, invite him to his house and, and is going to have a public meal with him. Now this public meals, meals are not just hidden in, in a living room like they are, or a dining room like they are today. These meals were public events, right? This was a sign to the people. I am bringing this person in my house. He is, he is worthy to be in my house. And so this would have been out in the open so other people could see that Jesus is eating with me, right? That's a big deal. That's why you see, oh, I can't believe he's eating with these people and those people because it's public, right? It, me it meant something to them. Now, what's interesting here 
is that on the outside, by a perimeter, would have been all of the people who, like this woman, didn't have the opportunity to eat and have all these expenses and luxuries at their disposal. And what happened is they would sit at this perimeter, and whenever the host and the, the guests would stand up, done with their meal, and they would leave, all of these people would rush in and take the scraps, take the leftovers. It was, it was the, the rich person's um, you know, giving to the community. You can have my scraps. Right? And so this, these people, like this woman, are standing on the perimeter waiting until Jesus and Simon are done eating so that they can rush in and get their fill. But she breaks the front line. And out of nowhere, you have this woman running by herself and falling at the feet of Jesus and using a perfume that she most likely was using to gain customers because she was a, a woman of the night. Most likely the thing that would bring people in, she was using it. The only valuable thing that she had, the only thing that she had, she used all of it to wash the feet of Jesus. I want you to imagine if Jesus would have rejected her offering in that moment. If Jesus would have said, listen, I don't, I don't need that from you. No, 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 it's not necessary. It would have crushed her. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen in the story? What we would think of Jesus if, if he denied her that opportunity in that moment? But he didn't. No, in fact, he actually goes so far to defend her. He actually says that the way she was worshiping rivaled those, the religious leaders and how they worshiped. Right? I doubt that Jesus needed a foot washing. Well, maybe he did, but I doubt he needed a special perfume treatment on his feet in that moment. At least not at that moment at the dinner party. He probably didn't need it. Right? He wasn't looking for it. But it was all this woman had to offer. And in fact, it's all that she had. And he received it willingly because he knew that his willingness to receive this gift, this gift meant everything to her. It meant that she had her dignity in her worship. She could hold on to that. And that her gift, it counted. It was worth something. He received her gift even though others in that room would have deemed it as insignificant or out of the ordinary or, or un, un, misplaced. To Jesus, it meant everything. Jesus chose to make himself vulnerable. The one who came to give us everything the one who had everything to offer was willing to receive something from us. Yeah, Jesus practiced the art of receiving as well. Right? The art of receiving, right? this thing that we're talking about, it's not complicated. Right? It, it can be broken down pretty simply. It basically comes down to you being aware of your own needs and opening your eyes to the possibilities that other people have something to offer you. Not being the person on the street corner yelling out and knowing exactly what people need, but being willing to listen, being, well, being, being willing to be vulnerable to people, knowing that everybody has something to offer you. The art of receiving is not easy, never will be. But as we enter into these relationships with people, realize that it isn't all about you giving to them. 
right? In fact, a true relationship will never be built if you are simply with the mindset that I have, I have the only thing to offer here. But by actually opening the two-way door, actually allowing a relationship to take place and allowing that person to offer you something. And I don't know what that's going to be, but being open to it. And that is the art of receiving. Uh, next week, we'll have our final session in the Art of Neighboring class. What I want to do is I want to spend just the last five minutes. So we have a uh, little under 15 minutes until worship. I want to spend the last five minutes, pull out your tic-tac-toe sheet, pull out your neighboring sheet, turn to somebody around you, and talk about it. Talk about these people in your life. And what I really want you to focus on is focus on a next step. What is something small? What is something practical that you can do this week to get to know a name, to recognize somebody, maybe take a walk to your gym instead of driving? What is one small thing that you can do this week to be more intentional with your neighbor? So we'll end class that way. Thank you all.